this parent I'm expected to be, this hetero marriage I'm expected to be in, this career I'm supposed to be building and return to work to, all of it is false. Welcome to A Success of Our Own. A Success of Our Own is an invitation for us to courageously define our own version of success beyond the mainstream metrics we've been told we should want so that we can create a sustainable and joyful success that we can finally relax into. I'm your host, Natalie Ruskin. I'm a journalist with an inquiring mind, a meditation teacher seeking the divine, and a community gatherer helping others live life more inspired. This podcast offers you the opportunity to learn and grow through inspiring personal stories of transformation, ideas, and practices. As you listen to this podcast, breathe it in and let it slow you down even a bit. Trust that simply listening in this less effortful way you'll experience a shift. You'll find that puzzle piece you've been seeking. Join me in this moment, and let's take a risk together at living a success of our own. What happens when we truly become open and willing to see the deeper truth of who we are and allow that truth to govern our choices? This radical question has been the radical path that Amanda Monday started on five years ago. She was striving for all the things that her traditional upbringing and type A conditioning told her she should want and do. Then, after many years of following that script, she woke up. Did everything to try to hit those metrics, right? I have a TED Talk. Amazing. I wrote a book. Great. I tried to get as much public love as I could to fill a lot of what was going on for me. I hit all the metrics everybody said I should meet, and I felt broken. And it was like, okay, great, now what? Exhausted, depressed, and disconnected, she knew that something had to change. And so began the process of dismantling her 1.0 version of success, allowing for Amanda to discover a deeper, more honest success that she could relax into. When I first met Amanda five years ago and learned more about the challenges in her life, I remember thinking, how does she sustain all of this? It seemed exhausting. And yet there was Amanda so strong and energetic hustling to make it all work until it didn't work anymore. And truth was the only right next step. So what does sustainable success look like today for Amanda? I want to ask her about that. And I want to hear what had to change for her to get to this place of simplified living. So 2017, I was working in tech in a marketing role downtown Toronto, not far from the studio, Mm -hmm. and uh, two young kids who were at the time three and one. Uh, Childcare was costing me $50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I was making Mm $65,000 a year in marketing, so 
far more than I could support myself. I was married to a man Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a relationship for nine years, but we'd been together 17 since Mm -hmm. the very first day of university. And there was a lot that was broken for me. I felt like I was handling the burden of childcare. I felt like I was trying to manage my career, but at the same time, I had a partner who also worked in tech and and made a lot of money, but we were very separate. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot Mm. in my personal life at that time. Now looking back, it was clear I didn't know what to do with a lot of those feelings of loss and struggle and, and feeling like I was carrying the weight of a lot of things. And so I took on opening a co-working <laughs> space to deal with it. I have hmm. listen, let me tell you something. I am an A-type firstborn. You really <laughs> are the sibling. Italian Aries firstborn. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, the Jewish girl is saying Jesus. I remember that when I first met you and I was like, holy shit, this woman, how is she doing this? Like you had breakfast TV, which is our 24-7 news show, they were at the brand new workplace. I was doing an event that night for kind of panel talk about finding alignment. And you were literally like baby on the hip, a million people needing you at the same time. You were wearing so many hats at the same time, and you were totally able to function and have multiple conversations. And I was like, who is this force of nature? Uh, yeah, many people call me a maniac when it comes to work. Like she's, a, I hear that often. <laughs> I say it jokingly, but it's also serious. Like for a long time, my coping strategy for all stress mm-hmm. is work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think there's no better evidence or manifestation of how much stress my life is under than how successful my career is. Interesting. Because I'll put everything I have into work to avoid large feelings of discomfort, to avoid feelings of inadequacy, to avoid all those, you know, archetypes that the personality that I have has. I just, I drill it all into work. I mean, I launched the workaround, which is a huge brick and mortar space, and got a book deal and wrote a, book deal a, about... a memoir about postpartum depression, yeah. which is a whole other piece of my life around being committed to a psychiatric ward when my daughter was nine days old. Yeah. Um, but it was all connected, right? Like it was all, it's all been connected. I started to write this story about postpartum depression. I felt like there wasn't enough conversations about what mm. it's like to be ambitious and professional mm-hmm. and driven and struggle with postpartum depression and then try to return to a tech company. And at the same time, I was carrying childcare. And oh, by the way, why is this so hard? I feel like we need to take a moment and take an inhale, exhale. Just because it's, I remember when I met you, I was going through my own, not to make this all about me, but I do want to be vulnerable and share that I had done so much stripping away of the busyness, the working, my own shtick around the overachieving. And then I was seeing you and I was like, how does she do that? And seem not anxious and present. But for you at the time, that was your coping strategy, like you said. And then it wasn't anymore. What changed for you? If I could put it succinctly, because, you know, I'm conscious that a marriage doesn't just fall apart overnight, right? 
but for the sake of not unpacking all of <laughs> the things that went into it, I would say what the workaround did for me was show me what I can do on my own and what I'm capable of doing. And it was and still is the best proof I have that I can take care of myself, that I can face trauma and mm. make my own money, that I can overcome really difficult scenarios and build a container for my kids and I, build a space that is welcoming and and okay and that I don't need a partner, I don't need a marriage that isn't serving me. And even more so to recognize that I'm not straight, that I'm queer, that I have always been queer, and that I didn't know how to navigate coming out as queer and and talking about that part of my identity when I had been in a marriage for so long. It's almost like the triage of like marriage coming out. What was the order of affairs yeah. for you to get to that place of what I hear is truth? My daughter's nine. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of numerology things in my life and significance. And mm -hmm. she's nine. She just turned nine a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. When she was nine days old, I was committed to Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto with postpartum psychosis. There's mm -hmm. debates about mm -hmm. whether it was psychosis or or depression, but I had a psychological breakdown. Mm -hmm. I was alone. I mean, I was in the psych ward alone for, for 18 days, but I was alone through all of it. And after I got home, I realized there was no foundation here. Mm -hmm. There was no support. I'm living a lie this this parent who I, I'm expected to be, this hetero marriage I'm expected to be in, this career I'm supposed to be building and return to work to, all of it is false. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, sleep deprivation was a, certainly a link to, to postpartum depression, mm -hmm. but I also think it was the catalyst mm -hmm. of the total unraveling of this persona I was living that wasn't me. So then there's a period between 2014 when my daughter was born through to 2018 when I opened the workaround where it was just a lot of hanging on, mm -hmm. <laughs> just a lot mm -hmm. of survival, a lot of planning, mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of figuring out what I was going to do. When I opened the workaround, I'd, honestly, I didn't expect that my marriage would fall apart so quickly after. We got divorced in 2019, mm -hmm. almost a year after I opened the workaround. But I knew I needed to start doing things for me. Mm. And, I knew when the book came out and and my ex refused to read even a draft of of the manuscript mm -hmm. that was a pretty mm -hmm. strong hint that it that there was something there. I had gone to a women's entrepreneurship retreat in California. I remember you telling me it was all women and non-binary individuals and I just remember feeling like oh, I'm safe here. Mm. This is who I am. Also, nobody here really knows. They don't know the workaround. They don't even really know Toronto. <laughs> they don't know who I am here. Maybe I'm gay. Wow. Had it ever crossed your mind before then? <sighs> I know it's such a loaded question. I mean, it's such a big thing to say. Like I had had relationships that were queer in university. Yeah. I also met my ex 
the very first day of university. Wow. When I told him and came out, the, the very first thing out of his mouth was, I always knew you would leave me for a woman. Oh, my God. It was the very first thing he said. So, holy shit. Do we know? Did I know? He knew. He knew. Apparently. Right? How do you navigate a 16-year marriage where both people know that they're lying? The premise of this podcast for me was to have conversations with people who were who have gone through some version of transformation from what they thought they needed to be to feel successful and how they thought they needed to evaluate their success transforming from that to something that was much more honest and true for them yeah i'm curious to hear from you is there a turning point you shared that moment where you got clear that you're gay was there a moment for you when you remember the shift from that Mount Sinai flashback of I have no foundation to I'm okay, I'm supported? Yeah, it being in California with 200 oh. badass women, Amazing. and like these were like, they are, like it was Sally Krawchuk, it was like major CEOs and very successful women everybody was solo. There weren't, you know, partners and kids. It was a business retreat, but it was done in such a radical way. I remember thinking, I'm here. I'm in, I'm in the fucking woods. <laughs> My business is running by itself. My kids are with somebody else. They can't reach me unless there's an urgent emergency. I have to accept that I, like, it's okay. I've, everything is okay. Mm. It's stable at home. What do I need? Mm. And it really became, well, I've burnt a lot of other things down in my life. Mm. What else can What's go? Another? <laughs> my marriage was the next one. So it was really, I came home and like within four months we were separated. And and mm. that was the big unraveling of my personal life, of coming out. You know, you mentioned how when you started the workaround, like it was everything personally, professionally, policy, what was the wish, the dream of the workaround, and how did you know it was time to yeah. uh, close it? So the workaround is a proof of concept. It's by definition a temporary solution. It's a workaround, right? Everybody has always said to me, the name is so great. So good. <laughs> and I've said, yeah, because it's literally, it's working around your kids. It's also a workaround to an urgent problem, childcare in Toronto at the time, three-year-long wait lists, $2,000 a month per kid yep. for infant care. I remember. Like it was a crisis. And at the same time, everybody's saying, pay equity for women and let's talk about diversity in tech and let's talk about salaries. And I thought, I don't want to talk about any of that shit because I have to get a daycare spot and it's going to be three years from now. And so guess what? I'm going to have to leave my career and stay home with these children because I don't know how else to navigate any of that. So the workaround was really, I built it to say, look it, there's another way. Mm. If parents are on site, I don't need a childcare license, which also mm. is a workaround mm -hmm. <laughs> to the Childcare Act. Uh, but I, I built it to say kids and parents can coexist 
not in the same room. Everybody jokes that there was a physical daycare yeah, attached to it. It was separate. The, the workspace was intended to be quiet. There was a hammock. There was nursing suites. There's professional meeting spaces. It was flexible, part-time, hourly childcare. But guess what? We outgrew it. I advocated at a national level for childcare policy. COVID disrupted all of what we knew this facade, mm. kind of like if I had to put it all together, like this facade of this marriage and this this heteronormative like mindset that I was stuck in, that there was only one way to be successful and mm. go forward in a marriage. I think we're also, for a long time, we're really stuck on there's only one way for women to work mm -hmm. or be home with your kids and put them in this one type of childcare solution. And I just wanted to say, absolutely not. There's something else. Mm. We can just bring kids to the office mm -hmm. when we need to. Except in COVID, that model wasn't It imploded. Possible. It imploded in COVID. And I got through that. And we came out the other side of COVID. Um, and what we got from COVID was national, federal child care policy, $10 a day child care mm. with bilateral agreements with all of the provinces and territories. That effectively put me out of business. Mm. What's the term? Not poetic justice, but there's a real... Oh, it, there's an irony and irony. it's poetic all together. Mm. I see it. It's beautiful. Like for me, the workaround was critical to my own success and my own foundation. And it's going to close now. And now millions of Canadians across the country have childcare. And if the workaround even had a, a like, tiny little percentage of influence on changing policy, not just because the actual space, but because I was in the media all through COVID screaming. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, we had Jagmeet Singh, we had Mary Ng, we had federal policy makers in the physical space saying, this is really innovative. This is a really great idea. And, you know, I, I lobbied hard for change and I got it. And now it's time to wrap up that work. You're amazing. I just have to say that right now. Like, I'm just like, holy shit, what a force. What a force. And as I said to you when you walked in, like, I was like, you look amazing. Like, you have, you totally, like, your haircut. It's like when somebody is in their own skin. You found your home, like, inside yeah. of you, and it's immediately kind of palpable. That's, it's helpful because I, I feel such grief and sadness about it closing. And so I feel like I'm walking through the city with this like fog of grief. But at the same time, like I'm so proud of, of what it did. Everybody said like, thank you. You can rest now. Are you resting? <laughs> no, I got another job. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, I... <sighs> When the physical space closes in September and I don't have to be, you know, the last thing I do at night is check to make sure that it wasn't broken into or there wasn't Ugh. a flood and there's enough money for payroll tomorrow. Is Hydro going to be shut off today or can I call them and negotiate another five days oh before they shut it down? Like just alleviating that stress alone, that will help me a lot to move forward. I want to talk to you about the kind of elephant in the room, which is the success and achievement piece. So first of all, What's changed in terms of your own definition of success? What are the metrics that you're using to evaluate your success and how have they changed since when you left that 
tech job. I would be lying if I said I didn't believe the workaround was going to be this, you know, major success with hundreds of locations in this franchise where I would vision board myself on the cover of Fast Company as, as the woman who revolutionized childcare. Like I, listen, A-type. <laughs> Aspirational it's, goals. It's we all big, need them. Right? Like I, I quit thinking I'm making 65K in marketing. I'm trying to get on track to be CMO, but if I can earn $10,000 a month net profit at this job tomorrow, I instantly doubled my salary. And so in the beginning, there was both, there were policy goals that I was looking at, but it was definitely financially driven. And now it's so interesting because I haven't taken a salary since October. Yeah, It's July, mm-hmm. almost a year. I'm a single parent of two kids living in one of, if not the most expensive city in this country. Mm-hmm. I have survived on debt and uh, spousal support and and just collecting whatever I could here and there to, to get enough money to move on. And yet I'm closing my business saying I see it as nothing but a success. Mm-hmm. So I've had to really mm-hmm. reconcile with what does success look like? What does accomplishments what does that mean? What do accolades mean? Right? What does all of that mean for me? <sighs> now, when I think about what do I want, I want to be present with my children. Mm-hmm. I would like a relationship that feels equal and equitable mm-hmm. and passionate and mm-hmm. romantic and all those good things I don't have mm-hmm. and didn't have for so long. I want connected time with my friends. I want to not be scrounging and debating about whether or not I should buy the kids' clothes. I'm far less interested in public notoriety. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Those things don't necessarily turn into cash mm-hmm. in any real right. way. <laughs> Great. I have a TED Talk. Amazing. I wrote a book. Great. None of those things turned into money. Mm-hmm. Yet. I, well, I did everything to try to hit those metrics, right? I did every. I, I tried to get as much public love as I could to fill a lot of what was going on for me. It's so refreshing to hear you talk about this because anyone who is trying to get some kind of attention for their brand, for their solopreneur work, et cetera, that that's the model we're told is to get that word out there. And there's a limit to what it can bring back to us. And it can be this, uh, this hungry kind of insatiable beast. Yes. It's, you know, the top 40 under 40s, the awards. I forever had TED on my Mm -hmm. vision boards. Forever. It was like, I'll be a TED speaker, then I'll know I made it. Mm -hmm. I'll be a best-selling author, then I'll know, Mm -hmm. right? The media will call, they'll call me instead of pitching. I know they did. They called 40 minutes after announced the business was closing. So what? I'm still going home and feeling isolated and alone. And so great. I went and sought all that external validation. I hit all the metrics everybody said I should meet. I'm broke. And I felt broken. And it was like, okay, great. Now what? I'm going to have to actually look at what I need in my life. I need to be free. I need to be willing to say who I am, even if that dissolves relationships and it has dissolved a lot of relationships not just my marriage I had to say that this business doesn't serve me anymore (laughs) and we're closing it 
I have to find other ways to be at peace with what's healthy and good mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. There's something sobering about the picture you're painting of this current moment for you. I see I see a lot of hope in moving forward truly on my own terms, right? And I know that's cliche in some ways, so I'm like hesitant how I say it, but mm-hmm. really it's like I'm not I'm not striving for some big professional achievement. I I'm still very much interested in in change and and I'm I'm pretty smart. I can see places where work needs to be done and I'd mm-hmm. like to do that work. I'd also just like to move through the day without a whole bunch of drama and stress mm-hmm. and trauma and pulling for love and for affection and for validation. It's like all of that has to go. What's the opposite of pulling for you now? To me, it's much more about stillness and present, right? It's like it doesn't – I don't need to control all elements of my life. A lot of it is settled now. I'm not going to bed thinking I'm so angry he didn't you know, put the dishes away again. He doesn't love me and I'm carrying this years of resentment. Mm. And I can't believe my boss wouldn't give me the promotion and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things that you carry that made me sick. They caused a psychological breakdown mm-hmm. in me. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how much more evidence do you need that I was on the wrong path? What do your limits look like now in terms of your well-being so that you're not getting into that pulling place where you are losing your center? It's a good question because it's there's a lot happening always. And I still have two young kids mm-hmm. and now I don't have a partner who I parent them with. So it's a lot of solo time. Uh, to me, you have to have non-negotiables. And my non-negotiables are sleep. Mm-hmm. Like I really need to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it means I have to think about all the things I need to sleep. It doesn't mean drink a bottle of wine and stay up till one in the morning. That's not going to serve sleep. It means reading at night. Mm -hmm. It means trying to make sure I've allowed some space after the kids have gone to bed where I have some quiet. Like I I really, sleep to me is a foundation of all the things I do. So back out my whole day in terms of how do I make sure I can sleep? How do I move my body in a way that feels good Mm -hmm. again so I can get, my body can rest at night? I need good connected conversations like this one and with my friends. And so I really try to make sure I'm I'm doing the work to stay connected with my friends, go out to dinner, show up for them when they need it. And work has to have a limit. Mm-hmm. Speaking of work, you have work now that has a limit. Can you speak to what that is? It's not very public, but it's coming out in the world slowly as I navigate from one to the other. But I've taken on an executive director job of a national nonprofit uh, that works on get out the vote for youth and first-time voters. To me, it's a beautiful opportunity to look at change at a national level like great childcare was one thing I did. A brick and mortar space was one thing. But what happens when we enable the agency of millions of young people across this country to vote? It's good work. It's rewarding work. It also stops at five. It's also not so my company. Good. Let's be real. The money comes in every two weeks. <laughs> so good. I, get a you, yeah. I said to a friend of mine about a month ago, 
I said, so I got paid at the beginning of the month and all my bills are paid. And even that was revolutionary, right? Like rent and, and utilities and groceries. And I like, there's money to take the kids somewhere. And by somewhere, I mean like out for ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> so, Not just yeah. the same park with yes. the same slide exactly that you're like, Lord, right. help me right That's now. It's right. <laughs> like, guess what? We could go to Sky Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Big day. <laughs> so I've stripped a lot of that because I've been mm-hmm. in such a scarcity place mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. six years. Mm-hmm. We glorify entrepreneurship and you could have a whole other podcast, I'm sure, about this, but this hustle and grit and bear it for for the sake of, of some big goal, it ate away at me. It's also not really financially lucrative unless you hit some great sell-off jackpot that is very rare. We glorify the people who sell their companies and and have a successful mm-hmm. exit, but I would love to see the metrics of every time you see somebody got funding or somebody sold their company, I'd love to see mm. something that says this is the 0.1% of exactly. all the companies in the yeah, country exactly. who have recently closed or all the small businesses who can't get out of their leases because they're personally guaranteed for 10 years or 15 years. And so the baker who put everything in it and can't leave. Like those are real struggles. I have a big question and I'd love your take on it. It's something that I've been observing since 20 plus years ago when I was working at the CBC and people were eating their lunch at their desks in this fluorescently lit, almost windowless feeling space and not moving their bodies. And there was that hustle in this kind of corporate world. I see it in other sectors and industries, like whether it's in law or medicine, for sure. And there's something that is askew here. On the one hand, we have, we're choosing to live in these urban centers with these high rents. And so we are voting in a way by choosing to live here as opposed to going somewhere less costly and not wanting to be consumers, etc. On the other hand, what about quality of life and how much we're giving of ourselves to our work, which in some ways we we perpetuate. It's like, oh my God, I, I, I know how cliche this sounds, but it's like, I'm so busy, the emails, I can't keep track. And we end up on our socials at night and the distractions, it's... It's quite something. And then there's this idea of we've got to sustain this economy. This is the life based on some industrial age of what, like we're still kind of operating from this model that came out of an industrial age. From your perspective, like what is this and what needs to shift? Because your new role is about the young vote, the millennials and younger and we're seeing the millennials are coming into the workplace and they're like, no, no hustle. No, thank you. I don't need that status. I just want personal development. I want time to go traveling. I want to do stuff that has an impact. Okay. But that's not going to get the, the results that these workplaces want or so they feel. It's such a big, it's like the answer is like, fuck you, capitalism, right? <laughs> like capitalism, but also <sighs> At a macro level, you know, I can relate it to my own personal experience with divorce. Before you get divorced, there's this imploding that happens, right? Mm -hmm. It's like everything gets Mm -hmm. really bad, really, really bad, and then it gets too bad Mm -hmm. and intolerable and it breaks Mm -hmm. apart. And I really see 
that we're in a moment like that right now mm. with work where, you know, there were older generations that you were in the same job for 20 years, which had psychological safety and stability with it. In so community. Community. You're not hustling. It's like you show up to your job and then you clock out and you go home and you be with your family. I can remember my father always saying to me, like, strive for 888, Amanda. Eight hours of work, eight hours of play, eight hours of sleep. Mm. And I would always say, like, where's the eight play, dad? <laughs> and it's like 16 work. He was right that that there was more of a, of a balanced nature to work that we've been put into this tension of huge economic crises, huge imbalance and really imbalanced inequitable distributions of wealth, which put all of this pressure on us to work just to stay alive. At the same time, we've been glorifying professional success. Mm -hmm. That's what you were raised on. That's what I mm. was raised on. It's what we were all taught to do and go to university and then get a, get the best job you can and get a promotion and work and work and work and, and hit Retire. some metrics. Yeah. yeah. And like just good, just hit like next one, next one, ladder climb, ladder climb. And what I'm seeing now, and when I talk to young people, I see it with my employees at the workaround. I see it now in my new team and, and all the young people we talk to. It's like, this doesn't serve me anymore. This is much too hard. Mm. The benefits are mm -hmm. in no way outweighing the costs. And so we look to soothe with vices. Mm -hmm. We throw what little money we have into self-care, air quotes, mm. you know, and therapy and anything we can do to try to heal. I do, from an optimistic side, think it's going to come to a head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think... That falls out many different ways, general strikes and like mass unemployment. It also maybe is a little subtler than that. But I think what we'll see is leadership shifts. And as we have new leaders who see different ways of working, I'm optimistic and hopeful that trickles down to the ways that we work. I would love to see things like four-day work weeks, shorter work days. We need those things. I think back to that description you shared of how there's just this freedom for you right now in knowing that you are not having to wear a mask, not having to be someone you're not, and that there's this sense of like, I'm living my life the way I want, that the way that feels true for me. And there's a feminine energy to that, which is available for men. I have to say that every time. It's not proprietary to women, but it's that concept of being the change and embodying that freedom, not from a performative striving. Everybody's got to know this and everyone has to do this and this is the way it's done, but I'm healing myself. And by virtue of that, I'm healing my world. What's the antidote or what, what is the solution to this, to allowing for this imploding? And it sounds like it's being that change, making those difficult choices of I'm putting sleep as my priority. I'm putting connection with friends, time with my kids. I don't know if I'll be able to do all the things with my kids at the same time, but the striving and efforting to have that is no longer king for me, so to speak. Yeah. One of the ways I like to think about it. And my very best friend in the world has said this to me more times than I can tell you. 
because listen, dating in your 40s is hard. <laughs> and I, I got to coach you around this hard stuff. Okay, we're like, good. We got to work on it's that. A, it's a whole thing. And what they say to me is like, what if it was easy? Yes, exactly. What if it was easy? And I always have to come back to that in so many different areas of my life, work included, right? And I think when, what if the world was led with people who are leading authentically and with agency and people's definition of agency and how they move through the world are different for each one of those, mm. right? Some people need to leave their marriages if mm -hmm. that's what needs to happen. Some people need new, different transitions that are who they are as a person. Some people contribute out. in ways that are not financial monetary and that's as important as the person who goes and brings the money to support the family etc that's right we need collective care instead of mm -hmm. individual mm -hmm. care what if we value those things differently mm -hmm. if we go back and return to community and have agency and celebrate the way each one of us moves through the world i think it unlocks a lot for us when we stop trying to people please, when we stop looking at definitions of success that aren't core to who we are. And that's really hard. We want to measure against something and say, mm. am I safe? Am I good? It's am I validated? It's a total evolved psychological mechanism, right? It's a very left brain way of trying to make sense and analyze data. Yeah. How do I make sure that I'm safe and taken care of and have all of my needs met and still go against what I'm being told is right and good and the right path. That work is hard. And I think seeing examples, having conversations like this of people who are figuring out mm -hmm. how to live their authentic mm -hmm. lives for them and not for other people, you know, it, it leads the way to say, okay, this old model, it, it doesn't work mm -hmm. for me. It's not mm -hmm. serving me. Let's go to something else. Mm -hmm. And then we can't vilify people who say the model of who I was doesn't serve me anymore. I need something else. We celebrate that, right? You are a beautiful work in progress in that you are embodying what it looks like to move closer and closer to what's true. And that means being an example of in some ways, living in uncertainty. Yeah, living with, oh, my therapist will tell you, living with discomfort, living oh, with uncertainty, living with ambiguity. I mean, listen, the the, the A types, mm. A pluses of the world don't like it. Oh my God, I'm the triple A to Aries, A type, uh, A plus. Such a triple A. Oh. Firstborn, I don't, we don't like uncertainty. We like to control. We like to measure. We like to be rewarded. Mm -hmm. And it's a practice to say it's uncomfortable, but I'm going to just tolerate it a little bit more today than I did yesterday. And I'm tired today from all that tolerating. So now I'm going to take a rest mm -hmm. and I'm going to sleep. We'll try again tomorrow. Yes. Thank you for that beautiful wisdom to leave us with, Amanda. It's so great to see you again and be with you again in this way. And hopefully it won't be another five years before <laughs> we 
have the conversation. No matter what, we should check in in five years just to see what the transformation looks <laughs> Who like. Who knows what's going to be I'm happening. I'm very excited. About who knows where it could be if you look at where it was five years ago. <laughs> Big changes. Okay, so you've heard the conversation. Now what? I got you. I'm here. I'm here to support you beyond just the episode. So check out my website. I've got some practical guides and worksheets. Yep, there's worksheets there to help you create some of the changes you want to see in your life. You can find all of that at natalieruskin.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-U-S-K-I-N.com. I want this podcast to be successful and on the topic of success, one of my metrics of success is to share this message with those who may benefit most from hearing it. So if you feel inspired by what you've heard here, like it, or if a friend or colleague comes to mind, share it with them. And I'd love to hear from you. What topics, what themes around success would you like to hear more on? Send me a note. I'm at natalie at natalieruskin.com.